Andrew Womack Ministries presents part four in the How to Fulfill God's Will series, a five-part album. This message is titled, Thankfulness. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Hallelujah. Let's look in Romans chapter 1 again. I started with this last night. Uh, I've been teaching. This is actually a continuation of two previous Gospel Truth Seminars. I taught in Orlando on how to find God's will. Then I taught in Atlanta on how to follow God's will. And now we're talking about how to fulfill. And this is talking about supposing that you already have found God's will. You've been following Him. But now how do you keep your focus? How do you finish your course? How do you cross the finish line? There's a lot of people that start well, but they don't end well. Matter of fact, I would say the majority of people start, but very few finish their course. Most people finish in a whimper instead of a winner. And um, man, we need to finish our course, not just for our sake, but for the sake of other people. So that's what I've been talking about. And on, on Thursday night, I talked about obedience, how you have to learn to obey. And I used uh, Elijah as an example of that, shared some really powerful things about how important it is to just do and live with a clear conscience, not have anything in your life that God has spoken to you that you aren't doing or in the process of doing. Then we talked on uh, yesterday morning about patience, that patience is faith over a prolonged period of time. And it comes by looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. And I used two negative examples. Peter, who started walking on water, but as he got near the end, he was within one arm's reach of Jesus. He took his eyes off of Jesus and began to look at the wind and the waves, and he started to sink. And then I took the example of Elijah, who had done all of these great things, and yet got to thinking it was him that had done it. He got carried away with himself. And he says, I am not better than any other person. He never was better than any other person. It wasn't him that was doing it. It was God's power in him. And he got lifted up with pride and he fell into destruction. And so I was talking about how that you have to you maintain that focus. Last night, I started with these verses. And in Romans, it talks about how that every person at one time had an intuitive revelation of God on the inside of him. You're, you're going to hear a lot of people say things contrary to that. And many people today will say, oh, no, they have no conviction of God. And it's said so often that many people, even many Christians, don't believe these verses. But I tell you, I have seen that God's word is true. And people in Vietnam who said there was no God when the bullets got to fly and all of them cried out to this God they didn't believe in. The truth is everybody, everybody, everybody has had an intuitive revelation of even God's eternal power and Godhead so that they're without excuse. But then Romans chapter one begins to start showing that even though that's true and that he is there in every person, you can deaden yourself to it. You can deny it. You can walk away from it. And so what I started doing was showing the four steps listed in Romans 1.21 that a person takes to desensitize themselves to this inner voice that God has placed on the inside of every person. And I'm turning it around and saying that if we can do the opposite of this, then it keeps you from ever getting off track. If these things are what causes a person to lose their sensitivity to God, then do the opposite of it and you can keep sensitive to God. You don't have to lose your joy and your relationship with God. 
our relationship with God should get better over time. We should get stronger and stronger and stronger in the Lord. It shouldn't be something that loses its potency with time. And yet the average Christian's experience is that they have God touch them and then they lose it. I have people all of the time that come to me and say, man, they were just so touched at these meetings. And then they go back home and they get around people who criticize them and tell them all oh, this stuff is all wrong and you're a fanatic and you've gone overboard and on and on and on. And people tend to lose their excitement and their zeal about the Lord. It shouldn't be that way. So what I was sharing last night, the first step that he lists right here in verse 21, it says they didn't glorify him as God. And that means to place value on to magnify, to put worth on the things of God. And see, when people leave and then you get around people who criticize you and if it's family members or if it's people that you work with, you want their approval and you value their approval. So what tends to happen is we put glory and worth and value on God when we're around people like this and hearing the preaching of the word. But then you get around other unbelievers or other people that don't value the word and you want their approval and you tend to start valuing their opinion. And what happens is the value, the glory you placed on what God spoke to you diminishes. And after a period of time, you've lost it. And so, man, that is important. I could preach that all over again. But I pray that you let the Holy Spirit speak that to you because that is really important. And that's exactly what's happening to us. Satan has millions of people available. And he, I can guarantee you, you get touched at this meeting on Monday morning. He has plenty of people that he can push their button and they just come around and they just choose to dump on you. They're going to... They're going to... Uh, focus on you, just take you out of a crowd and you'll think, well, why is all of this happening to me? And you don't even recognize that afflictions and persecutions come for the word's sake is what it says in uh, Mark chapter four. Satan orchestrates people. Your dog will bite you. <laughs> he just has things. Satan has plenty of people and things available that he can send around and he will do things to take your value off of God and get you to thinking about all of these other things. And this is probably one of the number one ways that Satan gets people so that they don't maintain it. Some of you have been so built up and fired up and man, you're ready to go back and charge hell with a water pistol right now. But how do you maintain that focus? How do you maintain this intensity? I'm telling you how you do it. You just put glory and worth on the Lord. And then look at the second thing here in Romans 1.21. It says, first of all, they didn't glorify him as God, neither were thankful. And these things really all work together. For the purpose of discussion, we can separate them into separate things. But really, this is just kind of a lifestyle of how to seek God and put God first in your life. You can't really separate them, but for the purpose of discussion, you first of all have to put worth and value on what God has done and uh, just focus on that. And, and relative to God, everything else and every other person is nothing. That's easy to say, harder to do. But many Christians are so codependent upon they've got to get the approval of their mate. They've got to have their church sanction them. They've got to have their family. Some people are codependent upon their family. And if their family doesn't uh, validate what they're doing, they just couldn't go off and, and suffer the rejection and the loss of their family. Man, Jesus said, any man that puts his hand to the plow and looks back 
and counts his family, father, mother, brother, or sister more than me. If you love them more than me, you aren't worthy of me. We've got a lot of people that don't have that degree of commitment and that's the reason you can't maintain your focus and that you get sidetracked and you're up and down like a yo-yo is because you value other things. And so the second thing he mentions here is that you've got to be thankful. Look over in Psalms chapter 69 at this passage of scripture. This is Jesus speaking. I had not got time to prove that to you. But if you will study Psalms chapter 69, there's about four or five quotations from Psalms chapter 69 that Jesus spoke on the cross. And this is a prophetic psalm. And um, he is saying, like for instance, in verse 21, they gave me also gall for my meat. And in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. In verse 8, it says, I am become a stranger unto my brethren and a alien unto my mother's children for the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. That was quoted by Jesus in the new Testament. And he said, this is a fulfillment. Jesus spoke this. It was through David. This is hundreds of years before Jesus came to the earth, but by the power of the Holy spirit, this is Jesus speaking. And let's go down to verse 30. He says, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. If you were here last night, I showed that the exact word, the same Greek word that was translated glorify in Romans 1.21 was also translated magnify in Romans, what was that? 13.11 or 11.13? 11.13, it's the same word. And so I was using the fact that to glorify also means to magnify. And Jesus here said, I will magnify him with thanksgiving. You know how you make God look bigger? How you make healing look bigger than sickness? How you make prosperity look bigger than poverty? How you make acceptance look bigger than the rejection that you do? You know how you do it? You thank God. You thank Him and you magnify God with thanksgiving is what these verses say. When you start being thankful and going back and rehearsing your victories... It makes God get bigger in your life. It puts more glory, more worth, more value on him. Man, that is a powerful, powerful truth. And if that's true, which it is, then we ought to be a thankful people. We ought to go back and rehearse our victories. You know, I've got so many things I'd love to bring into bear. I'll just say this quickly. But this is the reason that there's a number of scriptures in the Old Testament that gave a command not to take away your neighbor's landmark. Like for instance, uh, Samuel raised a stone and called it Ebenezer, which means God is our help because they won a great victory. And he put a landmark there so that every time people walked by, they would be reminded of the victory that God wrought over the Amalekites. And he put this thing there. And we are supposed to have landmarks in our life. You know, I had a situation where just the month before we began taping for our television I was working on a trail at my house and I did something stupid. I won't take the time to tell you all of it. It is really stupid. And I had this boulder that's about, I don't know, it's that high. It's probably a thousand, two thousand pounds roll over my head. I fell and that thing rolled down my arm and bounced on my head. This huge boulder. It should have killed me. Jamie said that when it hit my head, she knew I'd be all right. (laughs) But it should have killed me. 
And man, I was having so much pain. I jumped straight up in the air and ran a quarter of a mile screaming and praising God before I even stopped to assess the damage. I wasn't sure that my arm would still be there. And you know what? My hand swelled up, but I I lived through it and I got a boulder there. I put a sign in front of it and I said, the Lord saved my life. March the 23rd, 1999, when this boulder rolled over my head, arm and head. And then I put down the scripture, the Lord preserves the simple. Amen. (laughs) It was stupid what I did, but nonetheless, God preserved me. And every time I walk by this boulder, you know what? I remember that day. I can tell you the date. I can remember because I've rehearsed it a thousand times. And I say, thank you, Jesus, for saving my life. At the very least, I could have been damaged. I could have been maimed. I could have been handicapped. And I remember that. I've got monuments built all over our property. I do. I've got a rock that as you start down my trail, it's got a flat face on it. And I painted it white and I put on it, if you don't, I will. Talking about Jesus said, if you don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. And so this rock says, if you don't, I will. And every time I walk by that rock, I go, just keep silent in the name of Jesus. Praise God. I start thanking him. I thank God over and over and over. And I've got all kinds of things I do that just make me, they force me into it. You know, it says in Psalms 103, Verse one, it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. That's verse uh, two, I think. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. The reason it tells you not to forget is because you know what? Your tendency is to forget. If you leave yourself to yourself, human nature will focus on what's wrong. If there's 99 things right and one thing wrong, human nature will focus on what's wrong. It will think about, oh, I, you know, my life is just falling apart when the truth is you're really blessed. Things are going relatively good compared to other people. You know, this is why that when you're hurting, you can go around other people that are hurting even more and you feel encouraged. You know why that is? Because all of a sudden it puts things into perspective and you think, man, I thought I had it bad. You know what? I've really got it pretty good. And you begin to start thinking on how good things are. Human nature will focus on the wrong. And I tell you, this is something I hate in myself. I fight it constantly. And because of it, I sometimes maybe get too hard with other people, but I, I have people come to me and gripe and complain when the truth is they're blessed and it just makes the spirit of slap want to come all over you and just (laughs) slap these people. I had one of my Bible college students come in one day on Monday morning and he was crying. He was always crying. He always had a problem. He was on drugs for uh, depression and different, and he just always, always, always had a problem. And he came into my office and he was crying and just, it took him five minutes to even begin to start telling me what his problem was. And I just sat there and listened to the guy cry and whine. And finally, you know what the problem was? He'd been in church on Sunday and the two women in front of him talked and laughed throughout the entire service. And it kept him from hearing the word and the devil stole the word from him. And he came in and he, he was crying because he wasn't able to hear the word. I asked him, I said, why didn't you move? He never thought of that. 
he was binding and rebuking the devil, but he just sat there and let the devil steal the word from him. And I had just gotten off the phone that morning with a friend of mine who I called him because his wife of 50 years had died. Man, 50 years. You spend 50 years with a person, you know, your life kind of gets intertwined with theirs. And I called him to see how he was doing. And he was just praising God. And he says, oh, God is so awesome. God is so wonderful to have let me live with this woman for 50 years. And he was happy and praising God and rejoicing over something that was valid, over something that was real. And he was rejoicing. And here's a guy crying because two people in front of him whispered. I tell you, I just wanted to, if I'd have been God, I'd have (laughs) drop kicked him right off the planet, right into outer space. I probably didn't respond correctly, but I jumped on this guy's case and told him to get out of my office. I said, man, this isn't even a valid gripe and complaint. Some people think I don't have compassion. I tell you, I hate that. I hate it in myself. I hate it in other people. And there are people right here that I guarantee you, you, most people on the face of the earth would give their right arm for your poverty and for your problems that you've got. Some of you have little aches and pains, which again, I'm not saying that God doesn't want to meet these needs, but I'm saying there are people that would love to have your problem. And yet we focus on, if you have a little problem, we just magnify it, magnify it, magnify it. And you know how you reverse this? You go to thanking God that things are as good as they are. Focus on how good it is. It could be worse. You know what? You you are above ground today. You ought to be praising God. <laughs> Bible says, let everything that hath breath, praise the Lord. You're breathing. You ought to be praising God. <laughs> Hallelujah. A friend of mine, Bob Nichols, his daughter, Janet, had a car wreck, hit her head. And over a period of a year, started having a few headaches and things, and then eventually had a seizure a couple of years down the road, and they rushed her to the hospital. And Jamie and I were in the hospital with her about two weeks after this seizure, and the doctor said she was brain dead. And they didn't expect her to live through the day, the first day they brought her in. So they had just put tubes down her and things. They hadn't done anything. And the day we were there, they did a take tracheotomy so that she could breathe through her throat. And because of these tubes, she was down to, I forget, 80 pounds or something. And she's probably close to six foot tall normally. And she was emaciated. I've never seen a person look that bad and still be alive. There's bruises all over her face where these tubes were. And they had just done the tracheotomy and she was out of it. And they said she's brain dead and she's just laying there as a vegetable. And I tell you what, it was bad. It was bad. And Jamie and I went there to encourage Pastor Bob and Joy. And we saw them. Uh, Wendell and Linda were uh, ministers in their Bible college. And they know Janet. And they've seen this situation. And it's a bad situation. Anyway, the doctors, we were there when the doctor sat in. Pastor came in and said, Pastor, she's dead. Take her off the machine. And Pastor Bob didn't rebuke them or anything. He just says, well, that's not the report that we have. And he says, no, we're going to keep believing God. And Anyway, now how many years has it been? 12 or 13 years? She's at home. She's been under 24-hour care for 13 years. The doctors still say that there's no brain wave, but she can stand. Every once in a while, she'll walk. She'll talk a little bit, not intelligibly, but she will say intelligent. 
she's not near as eloquent as I am, but she, uh, she can talk a little bit and 13 years and she's still just progressing. And they've had people in their home 24 hours a day for 13 years. And I don't know why it's taken as long as it's taken. She's progressing. The doctors say that she's brain dead. And you know, one day she was, they were sitting there doing something and a doctor poker and she says, no, and pulled her hand back. And the doctor said, what did she say? And says, you heard her. <laughs> says that's pretty good for a person that's brain dead. According to their charts, there's still no brain activity, but she can do some things and she's progressing. But think about this, 13 hours, I mean, 13 years, 24 hours a day dealing with something that had war on you. And I was preaching on this very subject in one of our ministers conferences and talking about how we just magnify the negative and we aren't appreciative for what we've got. We focus on how we aren't healed yet. And this, it hasn't happened. This man back here could be talking about, well, I've still got 5% problems instead of glorifying God that it's completely reversed in 12 months time from 95% dead to now he's 95% alive. And I was talking on how we just got to focus on the positive and glorify God. And I was preaching on this and pastor Bob, he just stood up and threw his Bible on the floor and he said, I've had all of this I can take. He says, I just got to thank God for how good things are. And he started praising God and shouting and people who knew his situation, man, they started hitting their knees saying, Oh God, forgive me. Here's a man who's experiencing more problems than most. And he's just so thankful. Pastor Bob is one of the happiest guys. He's always saying, is there something I can do for you? This man lives his life for other people. You'll never, ever, 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 ever hear a gripe out of Bob or Joy Nichols. Their church, $18 million facility was destroyed in 45 seconds when two tornadoes collided over it and just devastated it. A hundred people in the building and every person was supernaturally taken care of. And when I heard about that, that was after his daughter is in this coma. And they'd already been living with this for a number of years. I heard about this. I went on the internet and within 30 minutes, there was CNN interviewing Pastor Bob Nichols, Fort Worth, Texas. And he had a hard hat on and he was saying, God didn't do this. The devil did this, but we're going to come out of this better than before. And the Fort Worth Star-Telegram went to their services on Sunday because their church was devastated. So they met in the Will Rogers Auditorium in Fort Worth and they went to see this church that was grieving. And the reporter says, we expected to hear people crying and talking about $18 million that was lost. And he says, you people act, act like you won the lottery. He says, people are rejoicing. They were running and jumping and praising God and thanking God that nobody was hurt. And that they're going to come out twice as good as before. And did you know that they now have a facility twice as good, plus a brand new school for their school, two gymnasiums in it. Everything's paid for. It's twice as good as before. Pastor Bob is a modern day Job that has had more than his share of problems come his way. And this man is just thanking God and he's standing there praising God and people are hitting their knees saying, oh God, forgive me for being a griper and a complainer. 
Brothers and sisters, we are magnifying the negative. What you focus on is what you magnify. And we've got to get to where we magnify God with thanksgiving. You need to be a thankful person. The apostle Paul and Silas, they went to Macedonia. They saw a man in a vision saying, this is in Acts chapter 16. Come over into Macedonia and help us. And so they knew that this was God. They got up and within two days, they had been beaten and put in the dungeon, in stocks. You know what most of us would do? God, I thought this was you. It was him. But just because you follow God doesn't mean everything's going to work out. I don't believe you can use circumstances to tell you what God's will is. But if you were going to take scriptural examples, probably if you do something and everything goes wrong, that's probably a greater indication that you're in the will of God than if everything goes right. And yet most people just think that if they're serving God, everything ought to be fine. Man, that's not what the Lord promised us. He says, in the world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Paul and Silas went over into Macedonia, into Philippi. Within just days, they were beaten and in the stocks. And instead of crying and whining at midnight, they got to praising God and thanking God and glorifying God, singing praises. And it said all of the prisoners heard them. And man, God got to tapping his foot and all of a sudden an earthquake came and it broke all of the doors open and all of their chains came off. An unusual earthquake. It didn't hurt anybody. It just took all of the chains off and opened up the prison doors. And here's the amazing thing. Some people see have learned that there's power in praise and they will praise God through gritted teeth, not really meaning it, but just using praise like a lever or a crowbar on God to get his power to flow. There's some people that have heard stories like this and so they will praise God because they want to get free. But here's the amazing thing. Paul and Silas praised God and when they got free and their stocks were broken open and their jail doors were open, they didn't leave. Here's an amazing thought. They weren't praising God just to get free, to get something in the night. They actually were praising God because they loved it. They were actually excited about God with their backs bleeding and rats chewing on them and dirt and filth and all of these things and possible execution. They were actually praising God because they loved him. You know, I've got a book entitled Encyclopedia of Christian Martyrs and I've read up from the time of Jesus and up until about 700 AD and thousands and thousands of people who've been martyred and killed. And I can't tell you all of the stories, but just over and over and over and over, hundreds of times, historical documents, Christians who were martyred for their faith and were so in love with the Lord, they would fight with each other to see who got to go out and die for Jesus. Most people can't even wrap their brain around that. Because we aren't sure we're going to go back to church because we don't like the color of the carpet. (laughs) There was a story about this one lady who was eight months pregnant and the Roman would not kill a pregnant woman. And yet all of her family and friends were going to be executed the next day and put in the Colosseum and they were going to turn wild beasts out on them. 
And this woman just couldn't stand the thought. She knew that as soon as her baby was born, she'd be killed anyway. And she wanted to die with her friends and stand there in unity. And so even though she was in her eighth month of pregnancy, she had her Christian brothers and sisters agree with her. And in her prison cell, she gave birth at eight months. She went into labor immediately and gave birth. And she had a person come and take the baby who said that they would raise the baby for her. And she went out the next day. They stripped her naked and with all of the birth effects and stuff still hanging out of her body, they put her in a net and turned wild uh, uh, bulls loose on her that just ripped her from pieces. And she was just glorifying God and singing and thanking Jesus for the honor of dying for his sake. I tell you what, there's not very many people today that will focus on the goodness of God and think about how much God has forgiven them. And we get upset because we don't have a brand new car. Our air conditioner doesn't work. We have to sit in traffic. And uh, man, praise God that I'm not God. I'd just turn us all into a pile of ashes. We ought to be praising God for the goodness of God. God is a good God. God has been so good to us. We are so blessed and we are an unthankful group of people. And because of that, we're feeling bad because this hasn't happened and that hasn't happened. And yet, if the worst thing happened to you, if you were to die, you'd go to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever and live in a mansion and have Jesus love you and provide for you. The worst thing that could possibly happen to you could be one of the best things. You get ushered right into the presence of God. We sing about when we all get to heaven, what a day that'll be. And then the doctor tells you you're going and you start crying. (laughs) It's not reality to most people. Most of us are putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. We are focused on all of the things that we don't have. And we've got to live up to the commercials. And we've got to have this kind of a figure before we can feel good and do all of these things. And we have just got our eyes so far off of Jesus. We're unthankful. Look, look at this list over in 2 Timothy chapter 3. You might ought to read this out of your Bible or you wouldn't believe this is in there. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. I don't know if you've figured this out or not, but we're in the last days. The Bible said in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, it's the last days. So if the last days started 2,000 years ago, we're in the last days. We're in the last days of the last days. And it says, and in the last days, perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. That's what that little book on self-centeredness, the root of all grief is about. Brothers and sisters, I'm not saying this to be mean to anybody. I'm just trying to counter this ungodly culture that we live in and that we have bought into and that we've been influenced by more than what we realize. But I tell you, most of us in this room are very self-centered. We love ourselves so much and that's the very reason that our life is so miserable. Self-love is like an addiction. You can't get enough of it. You get something, you get you a new house that you think is going to just satisfy yourself forever. This is awesome. And as soon as the new smell wears off, you're ready for another one. You get you a brand new car and as soon as the new smell is gone, you got to have another one. 
You can't satisfy self. It can never be satisfied. It has to be denied. You have to eventually just get beyond yourself. And I tell you, most of us, if you're all wrapped up in yourself, you make a very small package. And that's what a lot of us are. We are just absolutely self-centered. We are lovers of our own self. That's a sign of the end times. Covetous. Again, Americans are are probably the most covetous people on the face of the earth. We have been taught that get all you can. Just you're like a vacuum cleaner, just sucking everything. This is the American dream: is accumulate more, get, 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 self, self, self. Covetousness. Colossians chapter three verse five says, "Covetousness is idolatry." Most Americans wouldn't think that they're idol worshipers, but I guarantee you they are lusting after their neighbor's house. They want this person's assets over here. It's idolatry. This is a sign of the end times. Boasters. Man, in my lifetime, I've seen this totally change. You know, people at the core are the same as they've been throughout history. But back when I was young, people didn't sit there and say, I'm the greatest. And talk about how awesome they are. That would have been considered pride. Nowadays, people think that this is good. To think that you're awesome and ever, the world revolves around you. Most people believe that it only takes one person to screw in a light bulb. You just stand there and hold it and the world revolves around you. <laughs> Even most Christians, this is the way that they are. They're boasters. They're proud. Man. All of these things are so descriptive. Blasphemers. You, you know, I, I've noticed that even these uh, conservative talk shows that are counterculture to the liberal media today, they've gotten to where they use profanity on a regular basis. Things that when I was a kid, if you'd have said that, you'd have prayed you'd go to hell. And now those people just cuss all of the time and say things and don't think a thing about it. They're disobedient to parents. Is there anybody that doubts that we probably have more disobedience to parents, more rebellion today than ever? That's a sign of the last times. And then right next to that, it says unthankful and then unholy. Look at the list that being unthankful is put in. And if you go on into the next verse, without natural affection, this is talking about they don't have, they don't have love for family. You know, it used to be that if you were family, blood was thicker than water. But now families are falling apart. There isn't natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent. Incontinent means that you have no restraint on your emotions. You are just absolutely dominated and controlled by lust. Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Did you know there's not very many things in our society today that are outlawed? Homosexuality, if you say anything against them, they criticize you. I I heard just in passing, I don't know much about this, but I heard that this new uh, Supreme Court nominee might possibly be a homosexual. I don't even know, but I just heard that that was an accusation. And people are just up in arms like this shouldn't even be a factor. Who cares about any of this? You can't say anything against homosexuals, against uh, terrorists. You can't do anything. The only thing that is really fashionable to criticize are moral, godly people. We're open season. If you're a Christian and if you say that God is real, well, then you're, you're terrible. You're worse than the terrorist. Anyway, there's a lot I can say about that. 
that they despise those that are good traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. If you were to take how much money is spent on pleasure, movies, uh, sports, games, equipment, uh, entertainment, vacations, if you were to take how much Americans spend on that and put it up against the amount of money that goes to the gospel, it would be sad. It would be sad. I've heard stats before that just on sports equipment is up in the hundreds of billions of dollars per year. We love pleasure more than we love God. And right in the midst of these terrible things that are descriptive of the end times that we're living in, unthankfulness is an ungodly trait. You know, most people think, well, I don't mean to be unthankful. It's just I don't have anything to be thankful over. Oh, man, again, that gets me upset. We sent our son to Russia back. uh, This was back while the Berlin Wall was still up. And when he came home after being behind the Iron Curtain, he got off the plane and kissed the ground. This is one of the reasons we make all of our graduates must go on an overseas missions trip to graduate because we live in a bubble. This is not normal. You think it's normal. This is abnormal to the rest of the world. 80% of the world live below what America calls a poverty level. This is not normal. The rest of the world doesn't deal with this. This is one reason I was able to reject that Y2K stuff. And they were talking about the world coming to the end when the computers couldn't flip over to 2000. Because I've been around, the people who were saying stuff like that are people that lived in America and didn't know that the rest of the world wasn't on computers. You go to Uganda and Nicaragua into these little cardboard huts and it's not going to bother them whether your computer resets on January the 1st. But man, we live in a bubble and people get to thinking everybody's like us. People aren't like us. Most of the world today, they're, they're going to have to step over dead bodies to get to find their little bit of scrap wood that they use to cook something and things like this. And we just don't realize how people are. We, unthankfulness, is it un, it's like a epidemic proportions. And we're just focused on the negative. I'm telling you, if you want to finish your course, if you want to fulfill your destiny, one of the things that you can do that will keep your heart in the right place is just to make a decision. I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. If somebody slits my throat, I'm going to say, thank God it was a brand new knife and there was no rust on it and infection is not a part of the deal. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. I mean, you can get to a place that you're so positive that it doesn't matter what happens to you. You're going to find something to praise God over. And I'm not saying some of you don't have problems, but I'm saying that if you put it into the light of eternity, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. Man, I got just a few minutes. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and let me show you some of the verses of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul said in verse 17, he says, For our light affliction... Now, before I even go into why he calls it a light affliction, let me just say that Paul had more problems than you had. Paul said he was persecuted more than any other person. He lists the number of times 
that he was beaten with rods. Three times he was beaten with rods and that's where they would hang you up, lift you off the ground and have you hanging there. And then they'd take metal rods and they'd beat the back of your calves and and feet and ankles until they broke the bones so that when you walked, it was excruciating, painful. He had that happen to him three times. He had so many stripes administered to him, he couldn't count them. He says there was five times that he got 39 stripes, but he says that's just a portion of them. I couldn't count how many times he had been whipped. I don't think any of you have been whipped like that. Paul was put in prison more than any other person. I mean, we checked into this nice hotel. We got a suite. They gave us a suite. Paul, when he came into a town, he'd walk by the jail and he says, I'd like to make a reservation. I'll be here before I'm... Before I leave town, save me a, uh, save me a stock in the dungeon. Man, Paul was persecuted. He was rejected. And he says, besides those things that are out, I have all of these things that are on the inside, the care of all the churches. Paul was rejected. It, they were, he says, we are the offscoring of the whole world. You're magnified. We are put down. Paul had more problems than anybody. And he says, it's just light affliction. So if Paul's problems were bigger than yours, more severe than yours, more numerous than yours, and he only called his a light affliction, how can you get off calling your problems this heavy burden? It's because you don't have the same perspective he does. Again, your mind is like a pair of binoculars. You can either look at the little negative things, and if you do, they magnify and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. Or you can turn them around the other way and look through the big end and out the little end and you can take this huge mountain and shrink it down to like that and just throw it out of the way. It's just a light affliction. What you focus on becomes bigger. What you neglect becomes smaller. Paul had so focused on God. He was so focused on God that in Philippians chapter one, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he was trying to comfort his partners. You know, I have partners. I communicate with our partners and I write them letters and send things. Paul was writing to his partners and he says, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel so that throughout all of Caesar's palace, everybody has heard the gospel. Paul was saying this so that they wouldn't feel as bad for him. Most of us today would think, who cares about whether somebody else gets help? I'm in prison. This is unjust. And you'd be sitting there talking about your injustice. Paul, for him, if other people were coming to know Jesus by him being in prison, then, oh, that made it okay. It tells you about his values. He was more concerned about other people than he was about himself. And he says, man, it's wonderful because now everybody in Caesar's household has heard the gospel. And then he says that there are people now mocking me and preaching the gospel. You know, it's, it's hard in the King James, but I believe that what he's saying there in Philippians chapter one is that people were probably saying, have you heard about this guy named Paul? He believes that Jesus was the son of God, that he was crucified and he rose from the dead on the third day. And they were probably laughing and saying, have you ever heard anything so stupid in your life? They were mocking him. But Paul was saying, man, I'm thrilled because the message of Jesus is getting out. People are hearing that the son of God came and that he was raised from the dead. And it didn't matter if it cost him, if people were making fun of him, as long as the gospel was being talked about, Paul was excited about it. 
He had a level of commitment to God. His focus was on God more than self. He was not a lover of self. He wasn't into spending more on pleasure than he did on God. And because of it, he says, it's just a light affliction. You know why some of you, your affliction is so bad that you just, you know that you're supposed to rejoice in the Lord always. You know that you're supposed to be the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. You've heard the scriptures, but in your mind, you say, I'm justified in being defeated because, and then you fill in the blank. Paul had more problems than you did, but see, he just didn't glorify those things. He was so focused on God. When you don't love yourself, how are you going to hurt a person that isn't into self-love and self-promotion? They'd come to Paul and say, if you don't quit preaching gospel, we're going to kill you. And he'd say, oh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Awesome. He'd reach up and give him a kiss on the forehead. He says, I'm ready. They say, well, then we're just going to put you in prison. He says, awesome. I think we'll have a praise service at midnight. And they just start glorifying God and the entire jail gets saved. And they say, well, we're going to turn you loose then. And he says, fine, I'll go preach the gospel. How do you intimidate a person who's already dead? He was dead to himself. The only thing that counted was God. He put God first. He magnified God and because of it, put him in jail and he'll just get the whole jail cell. I mean, the whole jail saved. Man, it's awesome. This is the way that we can live. But see, he magnified God. He got in prison and got to praising God, not to get out, but because he really loved God. At midnight, in the dark, praising God with his back hurting, praising God for how awesome he was. Brothers and sisters, we got a lot of things we should be praising God for. He says, it's just a light affliction. How could he do that? He says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. This is one of the keys right here. Take your problem right now and put it into the perspective of eternity. A thousand years from now, is the problem that's bothering you going to be a problem? Not even. Even if it's life-threatening. If you're dying, you know what? We're all going to die. If you live 40 years or 60 years or 80 years, we're all going to die unless Jesus comes back. I I read a story about a guy who, uh, he went to heaven and it was so wonderful. He was so overwhelmed. He started crying. His wife says, what's wrong? And he says, man, this is awesome. He says, if you hadn't made me eat those twigs and berries and exercise, I could have been here 20 years earlier. (laughs) People are just hanging on to this life like this is everything. And if we die, that you cease to exist. That's not so. When we die, we go to be with the Lord. And it's going to be so awesome that it won't even be able to mention the things that have happened here in this life. The sufferings of this world are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. And yet... The doctor tells you you're going to die and you fall apart like a $2 suitcase. (laughs) See, you haven't put things into the light of eternity. You need to put it into the light of eternity. It's no big deal. I believe I'm going to stay here and I'm trying to take care of myself and I exercise and I do things because I believe I've got a mission right here. But you know what? If I die, if I was to die tomorrow, man, I've already made a difference. My life is counting. 
and I'm excited about going to be with the Lord and I've got a $40 million building program going and all kinds of other things, but man, it wouldn't bother me to check out. <laughs> Amen. I'll leave it with David. Let him build. It's no problem. It'll work. Man, you get that attitude. You put things into the light of eternity and it's just no problem. You know, let me give this testimony. I've given this a lot and I'm sure some of you have heard it, but I've heard it thousands of times and I still like it. But I go to Charlotte, North Carolina every year and one of my partners has a business and he calls me in and tells his business people, he says, the clock is running. I'm paying you to listen to this man talk as long as he wants to. And I get up and preach to him. And um, then I go back into a back room and we see people get born again and healed and delivered and set free and good things happen. I've been doing this for years. And anyway, I was there one year and a woman came back. I'd already seen about 10 people born again that day. And a woman came back and um, she was crying and she had tried to commit suicide the day before. And she was crying and she says, I'm on my fourth marriage. I've been divorced three times. And she says, I just can't stand it if my husband divorces me. He told me he was going to divorce me and, and I just can't stand it. And that's the reason she tried to commit suicide the day before. And she says, I'm not a Christian like you and Chip, the owner of this business, but I know that God's real and prayer works. Would you please pray for me that I wouldn't be divorced? And she just was in a puddle of tears. And I stopped this woman and I said, now you aren't a Christian and you know that you aren't a Christian. And she says, that's right. And I said, and you want me to pray for your marriage and not pray for you to get born again. And she says, that's right. And I just looked at this lady and I said, lady, don't you realize that after you've burned in hell for a thousand years, you won't give a rip whether this marriage worked or not. Who cares about your marriage? And it's just like I slapped her. She quit crying and she looked at me and she says, you know, I think you're right. She says, I need to get saved. And I said, you sure do. And so we prayed and this lady got born again. And then we prayed for a marriage. Now, see, I'm not saying that God doesn't care about your marriage, but I'm saying there's some of you that, oh yes, I should rejoice, but, and then you give me a case that exempts you. I'm going through a divorce. I can't rejoice if I'm going through a divorce. Yeah, you can. If nothing else, praise God that it says that he is engraving you on the palms of his hand, that a nursing mother might forget her sucking child, but I'll never forget you. You ought to say, thank you, Jesus, that you'll never divorce me. Thank you, Jesus. You ought to be praising God for that. If nothing else, take the scripture that says in heaven, they don't marry nor are given in marriage and say, thank you, Jesus. Temporary. Hallelujah. I'm not going to have to deal with this throughout all eternity. You should be rejoicing if you're going through a divorce. I'm not saying that you're happy about it, that you are glad for the divorce, but I'm saying that doesn't undo the goodness of God. If somebody dies, well, you can't rejoice if they died. Well, why not? If they're a Christian, they're in the presence of the Lord. You know, I had a, a person that worked for me that their child died in a pond that they built. A one-year-old baby fell in the pond and drowned and they were just devastated. They didn't want anybody to come but all of our staff wound up going and we sat there and as people walked through, I stood there and they, people were just crying and people were talking about, oh, she's never going to know what it's like to have her first birthday cake. She's never going to know what it's like to get her tricycle 
to go to school first day, to fall in love, to have children. They talked about all the things that she was missing and I was sitting there. And after a while, we had 100 or 200 people. They didn't want anybody to come. There was 100 or 200 people just standing around. And so he says, would you do a memorial service on the spur of the moment? Man, I thought, how do you comfort somebody in a situation like this? And you know what I did? I got up and I I took the scriptures where um, David said, that his little child died. And he says, I shall go to him, but he shall not come back to me. And you know that David went into the presence of the Lord. So that is a statement that that little baby went into the presence of the Lord. And I began to talk about how awesome it is in the presence of the Lord. And I said, this baby's not going to miss their first birthday cake compared to being with Jesus in heaven and all of the things that heaven has to offer. They aren't going to miss this first year birthday cake. They aren't going to miss a tricycle compared to heaven. They aren't going to miss the first day of school. And they, I said, and I, I said it in love, but I said, you need to realize that your grief is for you. You are missing this person. And it's right to miss a person when they die. But see, they were sitting here feeling sorry for the child. There's no reason to feel sorry for somebody who's died and gone on to be with the Lord. I don't care if they died in a car accident, died premature. Man, they are in the presence of the Lord. Your grief isn't for them. And it helps you to understand this and to recognize that, man, they're in heaven. And it shrinks it down. When you put it into the light of eternity, we're all going to go that way. My mother just died last uh, June, June the 1st. She was 96 years old. And for a year before she died, she was supposed to be dead. She had 95% of her arteries blocked about four or five years. They said she shouldn't even be up and walking. And she was getting around doing things and she was... Doing great. But anyway, she went into hospice care because they said she couldn't live through the night. Took her off all of her medication. And as soon as she quit her medication, she revived. And she lived another nine months. But she had to have nursing care. And every time I called my mother, she'd say, Andy, are you praying that I'll die? And I said, yes, mother, I'm praying that you'll die. And every time I'd see her, she says, I'm so sorry that it's taken me so long to die. I don't know why it's taken me so long to die. She says, I'm spending up all of the inheritance on these nurses. And she says, I don't know why I want to go. And I'd pray with her and command her to die in the name of Jesus. I did. And you know what? When she left, we had a memorial service and we rejoiced and we told stories. And I am just so thankful that my mother is not here any longer. She was miserable in this body. Her body just wore out and she wanted to leave. And man, I don't feel sorry for my mother. I Every once in a while, I feel sorry for me. But I don't feel sorry for my mother. Man, she's with the Lord. See, if you put things into the perspective of eternity, it changes your way of thinking about everything. It changes everything. The doctor says, I'm going to die. No big deal. If I die, that'd be awesome. But you know what? I believe that God wants me well. I think I'll get healed and use it for a testimony and just rub the devil's nose in it. But if for some reason I don't get well, it's no problem. And you know what? If you got rid of that fear and the stress and the worry... A merry heart does good like a medicine. And if you just started thanking God and saying, God, this is a win-win situation. I'm going to win any way I go. If I get healed, I'm going to use this. I'll travel the world telling about the glory of God. And if I die, I get to go be with you. 
and you start rejoicing and magnifying God and being thankful. And you know what? Your immune system would work better. Fear would be gone, which is the opposite of faith and on and on. And you'd probably get healed with it. You couldn't help but get healed if you just were doing that. Man, this is how you magnify God. This is how you put more worth on him. Just start thanking God for what he's done. Become one thankful person. Man, you need to get up in the morning and say, thank you, Father, that I'm alive again. Thank you that I'm awake. Thank you that I'm breathing. Everything that has breath praises the Lord. I'm going to praise the Lord. And you just start glorifying God. Man, if somebody criticizes you, I've got people that hate me and want me dead and all kinds of stuff. And you know what? What a privilege it is to be persecuted for the sake of the Lord. What a privilege it is that I'm making enough difference that somebody's offended by it. Man, there was years that I ministered with everything I had and people stayed away from my meetings by the thousands. Nobody persecuted me. Nobody cared. (laughs) It's an honor that people are upset with me. That's what they did. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his namesake. Acts chapter four. Man, it's a privilege. Paul said, I long for the fellowship of his sufferings. You can actually get to a place. Every time somebody criticizes you, God will give you more in the way of comfort and acceptance than they do in the way of persecution and rejection. And you can actually get to a place where in a way, in a sense, you like people to dishonor you and criticize you because that just means that God's going to show you how much he loves you even more. And you can get to where you enjoy it. I know some of you think I'm weird, but I think you're weird. This is the way Paul lived. It's the way all these guys, it's just for a moment. And then he says, everything you can see is temporary. Your house, your car, your clothes, everything you can see is temporary. But the things you can't see are eternal. So Paul wasn't just looking in the natural realm. He wasn't looking at the size of his house. He wasn't looking at his assets, his 501c3 business and his 401k. And he wasn't looking at all of his assets. And he didn't care what the stock market did. He was looking at intangible things, things that you couldn't see. And because of it, you know what? When you're focused in the eternal, it's never going to change. It's like Jesus. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if, you, if your focus and if your worth and value and your joy is on the Lord, it never fluctuates. If you fluctuate, it just is an indication to you how little your focus is on the Lord. If you're up and down, and it depends on whether this person has said something nice about you or whether they recognize who you are and how important you are, it's because you aren't focused and founded in Jesus. And I'm not saying that to hurt anybody. I'm saying it to enlighten us. I'm trying to counter this culture and let you know that there is a different way of living than the carnal way that we've all been taught to live. You can live and glorify God. You can start thanking God every day. Thank God that things are as good as they are. Maybe they aren't perfect, but they could be worse. It could be worse. You could be in a hospital somewhere on your last breath on life support. Nobody in here is on life support. Every person in here has got something to be praising God for. It could be worse. You could live in some of these situations like they were talking about this little boy, Geronimo, malnourished. His brain doesn't function exactly right. His eyes bug out. He's got health problems. He's been living in a cardboard box for 17 years. You could be in that situation. 
You didn't do anything to make yourself born in America. You didn't cause this. This was the grace of God that chose to give you all of these things. Man, it could be worse. There's people today that are being martyred, being tortured. There are probably more people dying for their faith today than have ever died for the cause of Christianity in the history of the world. There are hundreds of thousands of people being martyred per year in China and in different places. You didn't make yourself be born in America. It could be happening to you. We ought to praise God that things are as good as they are. Amen. You just ought to be praising God. And I'm sorry, I could go on forever talking about this. There's so much more I'd love to say, but I need to let you go. But I encourage you that if you want to fulfill God's will, you're going to have to develop the attitude I'm going to talk about. If you are looking for problems, they're going to come. But you can, you can get to where you are praising God. It's like you're going a thousand miles an hour. And man, the devil could put a brick wall in your way and it's not going to stop you. You could go through it. You got so much momentum that nothing is going to stop you. But there are some of you that you are moving so slowly that if the devil put a pebble in your way, you may not be able to make it over that pebble. <laughs> you get a toothache and you're just ready to quit if God doesn't heal you. Man, you need to build up some momentum. You need to get going. And I tell you, if you'd start praising God and glorifying God, it would just cause your heart to stay sensitive and things would work in your life. Things would be much, much better. Amen. Is there anybody here today who doesn't know Jesus personally? You need to be born again. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.